0: Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. So you heard me pray today and I did that on purpose because I want to give you insight into the way that God teaches me and how he is changing the way I see myself. Because unless that changes, we'll never exercise dominion. And it doesn't even come across most believers' mindsets that God actually wants to partner with them. They actually don't really understand the whole purpose of salvation. It's not just to get you to heaven, although that's a good starting point. How many people want to go to heaven? Okay, just for the others, the alternative is hell. So it wasn't a trick question. But that's just the starting place. It's it's like a baby that's born, you know. That's not the whole kit and caboodle. That's just the beginning. There's a life ahead to discover. There's maturity. There's growth. And many believers stop at the first base. But God's intention for you is that you would exercise dominion over the earth and partner with Him in His purpose. Yes. Are you hearing me? Yes. And that's why you're here today because that's what you want. I know that. So Esther chapter 5 verse 3, and we're going to unpack this today, but it says this. And the king said to Esther, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It will be given to you up to half of the kingdom. Now when I read that the other day, I had this revelation that God wants to partner with us. And the king says up to half of the kingdom because he's looking for people that would equally partner with him. Imagine that, that God would choose you to partner with him. And not just give you a little slice of the kingdom, but up to half of the kingdom. He wants to co-rule with you. You're waiting for God, but the truth is he's waiting for you. We're going to look at that today about partnering with God, this whole concept. Now turn with me to Esther 4.14, because this whole book of Esther is an amazing book about a nation heading for a crisis. But in that crisis, God selects a woman full of the Holy Ghost, transformed by him to lead a nation out of what looked like a disaster. And God turned it all around, so Israel went from facing annihilation to absolute head and not the tail above and not beneath and things may look bad for you today they may look bad for the church but guess what god's got a plan he's never never outdone by the enemy what looks like going downhill god is able to turn it around it doesn't matter what you're facing today god always has the last say he can win with any hand dealt doesn't matter where you're born doesn't matter what education you have doesn't matter how old or young, it's never too hard for God and it's never too late. Yeah. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Yeah. There's a good word. Yeah. Esther 4.14. So the church is getting this revelation right now that God actually wants to partner with the church in the transformation of entire nations. And apostolic people, what separates apostolic people or an apostolic mandate on a church is this understanding that God wants to use them to build and transform nations. His agenda is much bigger than your own personal welfare, as much as he loves that, and your own personal victory. He's actually wanting to lift you out of a miracle mindset to an abundance mindset. Out of your own need for a breakthrough in a miracle to bring you to a place where you become a blessing to the nations. Amen. He wants to elevate you out of a small mindset to a large mindset. Are you hearing me? And this is what God's doing today. So Esther 4.14 says, if you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance will come Arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so right now, the church is getting an understanding that we have a corporate destiny, that this is such a significant time. Does anyone else feel that? Or is it just me and my own delusion? Now, this is a significant time. And I've been in church now for 50 years, and I've... It's a long time, isn't it? And uh, a lot has changed in the church. And the language of the church and the understanding of the church in its role in society has completely changed in that short period of time. We're starting to understand that God has called us to infiltrate every sector of society. And that all of God's people are called with a mandate that not just the preacher or the person operating in the the mountain called the church, but you have an anointing and a function in the kingdom to infiltrate business and government and family and education. We're beginning to see that all the church is called. And true victory in the kingdom is when the nations acknowledge that Father is Lord in every expression of society and not just here in the church we've hide we've hidden in the church when our goal our mandate is to disciple nations and the end game is not just getting people saved but that all the earth will be an expression of the glory of God amen verse 15 says Esther told them to tell Mordecai gather all the Jews who are present and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days. And if and my maids and I will fast as well. And then we're going to go to the king, which is against the law. But if I perish, I perish. So she's saying to Mordecai, we're facing a critical moment in time. You get everyone to fast out there. And I'll get all my people in the palace to fast. And then I'm going to go before the king and if I perish, I perish. Because if you went into the king without his favor, they would take your head off. So there's a new level also, not just of destiny, but of maturity coming to the body of Christ. Did you notice it said that you were to not eat or drink for three days? What have we been talking about for the last number of weeks? Is this whole understanding of the secret place that the body of Christ is coming into perfect alignment spirit soul and body we're getting to understand that god wants total lordship over every area of our life and so we've been good at surrendering our spirit to him but we've been dysfunctional in our personality you know that because you've been with in church with people that have never allowed god to to change their true personality their mind their will their emotion and so we have all this junk that gets transferred from one generation to another yes we're born again going to heaven but we've never embraced true maturity but that's changing now isn't it in the secret place so we like you know we've been talking about asking seeking and knocking and true dominion can only come When I've found maturity in my soul. Are you hearing me? Because you can have dominion and a realm of dominion in your spirit over the enemy. But if your soul is broken, if your personality hasn't been renewed, then the enemy will constantly take you out. It's very hard to function in dominion when your emotional life is all over the place. Are you hearing me? So she says... You know what? We've got a challenge. The world's in a mess. All of God's people need to begin to embrace the secret place as a lifestyle. And I'm saying to you, this world needs you to get your stuff together because you are the hope of the world. Not just for you, but this world is desperate for Christians that have come into maturity. It's a call. It's a desperate call in this hour for the body of Christ to rise up. The world needs you. Did you hear me? She said, if I perish, I perish. One of the other hallmarks of an apostolic church, not just maturity and a sense of destiny, but a sense of endurance. Do you know, one of the primary, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12, one of the primary apostolic signs of government in a church or in an individual is this I will not quit. Paul says, the signs of an apostle who are accomplished among you, listen, with all perseverance and in signs and wonders. Wow. Did you hear that? Yeah. In all perseverance and with signs and wonders. So a true sign of God's people is they persevere. Persevere to get the breakthrough in their life. Not just, oh, I tried the secret place for a week. It got to be hard. And I started seeing that was junk in my mind, in my soul, my will, my emotions. Isn't it funny? Well, it's not really funny, but I check how many people watch the podcast or the video. And in the secret place, the numbers are high for the, uh, the transformation of the mind, and of the emotions, but of the will. Because it takes endurance, it takes commitment, it takes, it takes discipline, thank you, to begin to bring those areas into alignment. And that's what's happening now. God is beginning to put a steel rod in your back that says, I will break through. Amen. I refuse to be the same tomorrow as what I am today. I will get this breakthrough. We will see... This city won for Jesus. We will see all the mountains of society. I will die believing that this is God's purpose. And like Joseph, I will say, you, when you bury me, you get my bones and you take them to the promised land. Because that's where my heart is. I will die believing that this is God's purpose. Yes. It's a conviction in our lives that we live by, regardless of whether anywhere else comes or not. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. And you've got to have that conviction that this is God's mandate for your life. Wholeness in your life and wholeness for a nation. That's going to be a conviction. You can't play with this. You don't give it a go. You surrender your life. Right. Are you hearing me? Yeah. So Esther. Now it happened on the third day, Esther one, that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in his royal house. With his royal smile. (laughs) And it was when the king saw Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give up to half of the kingdom. So I read that and I think to myself, what did this woman do? to prepare herself and position herself that the king would give her half of the kingdom because kings don't give half of the kingdom to everybody that comes their way. So with that in mind, let's have a look. Now flick back to Esther one. It tells us, in the, it came to pass in the days of the king, so verse 2, when he sat on the throne of his kingdom, that in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all the officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces, being before him, and he showed all the riches of his kingdom and the splendor of his majesty for many days. I want you to notice that as we begin searching for clues in Esther, right at the beginning we see a clue that the king is in his third year of reign. So I'm thinking to myself, Andrew, how do I position myself to partner with God with such dominion that he releases to me half of his kingdom? In fact, he says, you know what, let us work together. And that's why David, God said to to David, I will give you what's in your heart. Why? Because they would come into such partnership and maturity that what was in David's heart was in God's heart. And what was in God's heart was in David's heart. So we see here that it begins this story with the third year. And so I, I, I begin to think, okay, so what, what's God trying to say, third year? Well, when I think of the third year, I think of the whole concept of the third day of the church. So the king's in a season where, where everything's culminating. And we all understand, or many of you understand, that the third day church... Has a connotation to it. Do you remember? We see right through scripture this whole concept of the third day or, or the number three. Do you remember David? He's anointed three times. He's anointed by Samuel with a prophetic anointing. So he's selected by God, chosen. Then he's anointed as a priest by Judah. So not only is he selected, but now he's being perfected in his inner world. But then he has a third anointing a kingly anointing by Israel where he then begins to offer dominion through his life so he's going through those three stages of being selected perfected and then into a place of domination uh, where he's extending the kingdom so this whole concept of the third day is God's people being aligned to a season where they're not just being selected as being saved and God doing a work in their life but they're stepping into a kingly anointing where the kingdom of God is being uh, uh, moved right across society. So this is right at the beginning we're seeing the king's intention for the rule of God to come through all of society. Do you see this? And this is what he's saying. It's the third year reign of the king. We are now in the third day of the church. Are you hearing me? This This is all designed by God. In the seventh day, he rested. And so we're also in the seventh day as well. If you look at Bible history, 4,000 years of the Old Testament, and now we're in the third day of the New Testament. We've passed 2,000 years and entering into that third day season. So we begin to understand that God has a plan in mind. He's not just throwing out his cards. He's strategic, and he's saying right now, you are part of, of the third day church, and so that means i 've got to start thinking like a king see so if you 're thinking in a priestly mindset or you 're thinking over here in a selection mindset it 's okay just to be saved you are, you are missing the timing of God, for we are now in a season where God is wanting to issue through his church dominion on the planet, and the glory of the Lord will be covered. Over all of the earth. Are you hearing this? So I'm thinking, okay, the king has got something on his mind. You've got to know what's on the mind of God. So when I come before him, I'm primarily concerned with what's on his mind rather than what's on my mind. If not, you'll stay in the first day anointing. The third day anointing is anointing of partnership. What do you want to do with me on the planet? Are you hearing this? Is this the way you pray? So, as we read down, Esther 1 verse 5, The the king makes a feast, lasting for seven days. He's handing out the wine. You can drink as much as you like. You don't have to drink a lot. So we're in a season where the Spirit of God is being poured out without measure. It is a day of the king's favour like never before. Double anointing. There is as much as you can take. You can drink all day long. Ooh. Sounds like a party to me. <laughs> Cordial, of course. But it says in verse 9, the queen Vashti made a feast for the women. Now, don't be offended, but in some context in the Bible, a woman can be a picture of the soul. I don't have time to go into all the detail, but you can see that in the book of Psalms. You can see that in Eve's relationship with Adam, because Eve came out of Adam, the soul comes out of the spirit, joins together, becomes one flesh, and the soul expresses the spirit. The woman comes as a helper for the man. Okay? So, So this woman is a picture of the soul in the palace. And she has a feast for the women in the palace. But she's not part of the feast with the king. She's in the palace... But she's having a feast for all the women. The king says, Call the queen to come and parade her beauty in front of all the princes. Now there's lots of Bible commentary about this story that you know the Jews believed that the king wanted her to parade around in the nude, and she didn't want to do that, and she had every right to say, I ain't coming. But I think there's a bigger picture. I think God's actually showing us what is taking place in the third day church. That there are people in the body of Christ, anointed by God, called by God, but refusing to come and partner with the king. And the king wants to display his beauty through the church to the nations, but she's obsessed with playing games with other women. She's obsessed with things of her own soul, her own carnality. So we have some Christians, and I don't want to say us and them, but, but and it can be in our own lives. It can be part of us that wants to facilitate our own desires and have a small world, but the king's calling us to a grander plan. Are you hearing this? So this is what's happening at the start. She's living in both worlds. She's in a palace, but she's being disobedient. He sends seven eunuchs. You know what a eunuch is? Okay. And they called her. See, number seven is the picture of the fullness of God or the seven spirits of God. It's a release of the spirit in all the expression of God and it's, they're going out to the body of Christ right now, calling the body and saying the king is calling you to a higher realm to, to display your beauty to the nations but they, she doesn't listen to the seven eunuchs on your bike, f- refuses to come. The Spirit of God, let me tell you, is calling every believer now to a higher realm. And you have a choice like the queen to say, I'm not coming. I I just want to have a feast with the women. Or you can obey the king and come and do his good pleasure. So the king gets angry. He says, right, you're no longer the queen. You're out of here, Jack. I'm going to raise up another. And here's the thing. See, again, some commentators say that she lost her head. It doesn't say that. But what we do know is that she was banished from her function as a queen. Now, the thing is with God, the moment you're born again, you're part of the kingdom, you'll be loved by him forever. You can be a son, but a naughty son, and not fulfill your calling and your destiny. So he banishes her and says, right, you will no longer function in the fullness of your authority. And he looks for another. And the great thing about Esther, she's nobody. And the search goes out. Who will respond to the king? Who will bring delight to the king? So Esther's selected along with another a number of other women. And they bring all these beautiful women into the palace. Verse 12 of chapter 2 is really interesting. Because remember, what made Esther ready to walk in such dominion. Let's have a look at this, verse 12. Each woman, each woman had a turn to to go into the king. After she had completed how many months? 12, Twelve months of preparation. 12 is the number of the apostolic church. It's the alignment, it's the trinity. Three times four, it's the Trinity's full purpose being seen in creation, which is four. It's government. And so we're seeing here, there's something she did that positioned her into a realm of government, self-government, that God could say, you are now ready for me to exercise dominion through. You've got to prepare yourself for dominion to flow through your life. Are you hearing me? Kingdom dominion requires preparation. For if you don't, and I'll talk about this later, if you go into the mountains of society and you don't carry authority, you will bow down to the authority of that mountain and you may look like you're succeeding, but you're just operating under the spirit of that mountain. You have to come in with a different mindset to destroy the strong man before you can get into his house. Because the Bible says the strong man is not in the house. He actually meets you outside the house. And you have to have authority over him before you get in the house. So you've got to come with a different spirit. You've got to be prepared operating under a different anointing. You can make a whole lot of money out there in the, in the world. And it looks like you're being blessed by God. But you're just operating under the system of this world. So 12 months. For six months with the oil of myrrh, which is an oil of intimacy and also embalming, getting ready for death. And also six months with perfumes that beautify women. Beautify. What's women, women a picture of? It's a picture of our soul. Twelve months Getting my inner world ready to rule and reign. So do you know what they did? This is what they did. They would dig a hole in the floor. They would light a flyer. A they would light a fire under the floor. What's that a picture of? What's hidden in us that's a fire? It's a picture of our spirit. Holy Spirit raging within us, his power. And then over that fire they would put a pot and they would put all this perfume, myrrh and precious smells, and they, it would begin to rise up. So the Spirit of God beginning to bring revelation. It, myrrh, intimacy, vulnerability, death. He's beginning to deal with wrong mindsets. and And, and what they would do is they would come over, the women would come over this fire They would take all their clothes off and then they would get like a, a sheet or whatever and they would create a tent, a tabernacle and they would allow all this fragrance to come up to them. They would begin to perspire and all the gunk would come out and all this fragrance would come in for 12 months. So, as we Allow Holy Spirit to begin to burn in our lives. Bring revelation, truth about areas in our life that need to be put to death. About revelation of who we are. We create a tabernacle. Remember the secret place. Are you hearing this? It's amazing. And she's naked. She's being vulnerable. She's Remember, because the holy place is the place of truth. We encounter truth about ourselves and who God is. And the reason most people don't embrace transformation is they don't want to get naked. They don't want to be vulnerable. And admit there is stuff in my life that needs to be sweated out. And there's things that need to come into my life. So when I stand before the king, I smell like a transformed person. Are you hearing me? So she did this for 12 months. And at the end, when she walked into that palace, whoa, (laughs) whoa. Is that blue Stratos I smell. (laughs) If you've been around a long time, you'd know blue Stratos. So that tells me that this was not by accident that when she walked in, the king was willing to give over half of his kingdom. Because he is a woman that has been totally transformed and ready to exercise dominion. So I say to you today that God's not going to hand you dominion Until you go through preparation. Until you go into that secret place. And every single day you get naked before the Lord. Not not literally. But spiritually. You say, Lord, here. Here I am. Vulnerable. Begin to strip away every religious, poisonous mindset, things from my past, things from my family, traditions of man that have been highlighted over the revelation of who you are, yep. every excuse I have, every stronghold, everything that's in my life. And I, I know they're there. But I come before you and I say, strip it away, sweat it out. It's, Paul says it's putting off the old and putting on the new. Yep. And then begin to allow your fragrance to enter into my life. See, we need to do this. I think about this, and I think this is exactly what God did with Israel. They were caught in Egypt. Egypt's a picture of the flesh or carnality or, or the soul in its unrenewed form. And so God had to sweat out all the junk that had come in them. And I want to say to you today that there are specific things that you are going to have to get under the tent with God and allow him to deal with before you can enter into dominion. Can I just list a couple of these things? In Egypt, they had a slave mindset. So Esther gets under the tabernacle, the tent, and God begins to speak to her about a slave mindset. When Israel went, well, they weren't even Israel. When Jacob went into Egypt, he was a family of 70. When Israel became a nation, they were in Egypt. They'd only known slavery. Slaves are told what to do. They are controlled. They don't think for themselves. They have a slave mindset. They are not people that are independent in their thinking we have a slave mindset in this world in this nation in the church we want people to control us we don't want to be independent in our thinking when people start questioning the way we think we conform we're constantly confronted with conforming to this world and God says, if you're going to rule and reign and exercise dominion, you are going to be bringing in a different kingdom. And if you come against a strong man with a slave mindset, you will bow to him under pressure. So people say, why what do you tithe? Well, that's a silly thing to do. What do you give for? Why do you do this? Why do you believe it's wrong to X, Y, Z? And we will be silent because of a slave mindset that is controlled and manipulated and in bondage. And those sorts of people never take the kingdom. Are you hearing me? So Esther has to learn that if I'm going to exercise authority with the king, I'm going to have to think differently. Let me tell you something. Have you noticed that God never responds to people in their pain and their small-mindedness? If you're going to partner with God, you're going to have to understand the way he operates. Gideon says to God, You're not very nice, God. Where were you when I needed you? Why have you deserted us? God doesn't answer him. The reason God doesn't answer some of your prayers is because you're saying the wrong thing. God doesn't relate to you as a victim. So the reason we can't partner with him is he speaks a different language. He's waiting for us to get to his level. Abraham, get out of that tent because all you can see is that you're childless. Get out with me and look at the stars. You want to exercise dominion with me? Then you've got to think and talk like me. He will love you forever, but he won't partner with you. Just saying. You can disagree, but... At least find a scripture to back it up. Because when I look at God, he doesn't communicate with people that are bound by a victim mentality. That's why the woman who is dying with her son doesn't see the prophet as the answer from God because she is bound by her small thinking. And Jesus would go past whole towns because of the way they thought. I could do no work there because of the unbelief. And you need to understand that the way you think and communicate with God, and the way you see yourself and God will determine how you partner with him. Are you hearing me? He won't get down to your level. Oh, Gideon, you're right there. I really did let you down. You are really small. I really It's true. Your father is a loser. What was I thinking of to call you? No, this is what he does. You are a mighty man. He starts speaking at his level. And Gideon had a choice. Will I come up to his level? Or I miss my opportunity. God will not get down to your level of self pity. Who, yeah. me? Who, me? How could you change the world? Oh, please. Oh, please. God says, Didn't I put my spirit in you? Yeah, but you don't understand. I've got no education. I'm silly. I'm this and that. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. What was I thinking? Oh, okay. He picked 12 stupid disciples to show you that anyone can turn the world upside down. Even me. And even you. A slave mindset, a scarcity mindset. Unable to see abundance. Here's the thing. You won't exercise dominion with a scarcity mindset. Now I'm going to poke you. Are you ready? A nice poke. Slaves, the mindset is, there's not enough for me. In Egypt, they never had abundance. So when God gives them manna, what do they do? They hoard it. God says, there's more where this comes. <laughs> it's like when you go to a smorgasbord. We went to a really fancy smorgasbord. I mean, like probably the best in Melbourne. It's amazing to watch people. I saw people with more prawns on a plate where you couldn't even see the plate. I was like, I may never eat prawns again. You see them. They eat and they eat and they eat and they eat. I've got to get my $70 worth. I may never have this opportunity again. It's It's upsetting people now, isn't it? It's called a scarcity mindset. I may never have this opportunity again. I may never be able to eat this again. This may never come again. Really? So we hoard the manna. God says there's more. I can can roll this out every day. But they don't trust God. Maybe God will run out tomorrow. So we hoard. So you can't exercise dominion with a scarcity mindset. That's why people don't give to God. Because they truly don't believe that God can replace what they give. So how do you exercise dominion? With a scarcity mindset. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than receive. So I've got to get under this tent and let the stinking thinking of scarcity escape and begin to breathe in the abundance of a God that has no limitations. And in Egypt, it was a scarcity mindset. There was never enough. If you have a scarcity mindset, you can't handle abundance. You're the sort of person that goes to motels and cleans out everything in the motel. And if they would let you, you'd take the sheets. I can see people coming out with the beds on the back, tying it onto the roof, clear out everything that's here, and the poor person goes in and owns a motel, and it's just a shell. they'd peel off the paint if they could. You go to their houses, and you open their, their pantry, and there's these little things of Vegemite, Like you can't buy them at the shop. Where did you get them? There's like they come to your house for dinner and they take away all the scraps. I'm glad we can laugh about it. But do you see you can't occupy mountains, kingdoms for the Lord, if you operate under a fallen system. As soon as you come in, he has authority. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says the weapons of our warfare aren't soulish weapons, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, scarcity. He finishes by saying we'll be able to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You can't punish the enemy and pull down his kingdom if you're not in obedience to the kingdom of God. The enemy is hairy, but he's not stupid. He knows what operates in your life. He understands kingdom authority. And if you operate under his authority and you bow to him, you are finished before you start. You will never partner with God. But the alternative is if we refuse to bow and we believe that truly is more blessed to give than it is to receive. If we have an abundance mindset, we will bring the kingdom because the world needs people that truly believe There is more than enough. The more you give, the more you receive. We've heard today, a hundredfold in this life and the life to to come. But the reality is, most believers have not spent 12 months sweating over a hot fire. So that's a reality in their mind. So when they come to a mountain, they have authority. Slave-minded, scarcity-minded. Is there another S somewhere? Simple-minded. Slaves don't think big, like complex. Their life revolves around this. Routine, simple, simple. Get up, go to work, come home, go to bed. Get up, simple. Simple lives for simple people. But a king embraces complexity. Now here I want to get inside your head. You need, as a child of God... To embrace complex situations and thoughts. Yeah. 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 How can you help the kings of this world if you can't... See, you're, you're either a problem or a problem solver. Yeah. How do you get blessed? The more problems you solve, the more elevation you have. The more, the more that you're a, a gift to this world. Complexity. Thinking about... How to fix problems. Or yeah. well, the church, get up, go to work, come home. Open up the sport, shut the sport, go to bed. You are called, yeah. church, to embrace complex thoughts. You have, I believe, the mind of Christ. Yeah. That means that you have wisdom, access to the treasures of God. So you need to, oh, but I'm just a simple person. No, you need to get under a temp. And you need to sweat because you have been renewed when you got born again. I don't care how great your IQ is. Smart people are stupid as well. There's a lot of professors that keep leading the world down the wrong path. You have the mind of Christ. You are able to embrace complex situations like Solomon, who's presented with situations where they want to cut up children, and he's able to see beyond... See, the Bible says, I will show you things to come. I will give you solutions. You have revelation, the spirit of revelation and understanding. The seven spirits of God, I believe, are inside you. The spirit of counsel and might, wisdom and understanding. And you say you've got nothing to offer. And you just... Simple-minded people in a simple-minded world. This world needs great Christian thinkers who ponder, who look at things and say, why is France being targeted now? Why? What's behind that? Okay, God, under the tent, begin to speak to me so I can exercise dominion. Are you hearing me? And it's for you. Simple-minded people, slaves, scarcity, and small-minded people. Unable to think big. So when Joseph gives the land to his family, how many are there? Seventy. Seventy. And he gives them the land of Goshen. I think that's how you pronounce it. Think about it. Seventy people in a vast land. Now we have two million people in the same place. crammed, small. They started out big. They said of the promised land, this is a land that eats us up. In other words, it's too big. That house, I could never live in it. It's too expensive. It's too big. I don't deserve, I don't need a spare room. What would I need a spare room for? We can make do with one car. We can carpool. Why do I need extra money in my bank? Maybe to bless somebody, maybe because God thought you'd be a blessing to the nations. Small-minded. So Esther, see, so if you're going to rule with God, you've got to think on a large, grand scale. Now I know there's all you know. You can say yeah, but just we're all mature people who can use our brains. I'm not saying build a palace with ten thousand rooms. I'm saying God wants you to think big, big. And I'm constantly confronted with my small mindedness. So, the house we're in now, I remember so clearly when I walked in, I looked at our bedroom and I said to the Lord, I don't need a room this big. Because we've got a really big room. It's as big as some people's homes, it feels like. It's just wasted space where you could, you know, I could exercise my room. And I heard the Lord say, I'm trying to make you think big. I want to enlarge. This is this room's. Not, forget about the room. See, the whole thing is, God's got lots of homes. Don't get hung up about that. But I'm actually trying to do something in the way you see life, you see yourself, you see the church, you see the city. You truly think the city is too big. It'll eat you up. If I go out in that big bad world, it'll eat me up because it's too big. So Esther's having a mind shift change. And some of you think way too small. This is victory for you. And, And look, don't walk away thinking, he's so mean. I'm not trying to be mean. My job is to get in your mind and stretch it. And if you're offended, it's because you have a stronghold. Strongholds, we embrace them, we justify them, we legalize them, and then we defend them take ownership of your situation, and then when someone prods, you defend it. Well, you don't know my circumstances. You haven't seen (laughs) how. My friend, you need me. You need me to get in your mind and say, there's more. What did God say to Abraham? Abraham said, I'm childless, God. You go, oh, I'm sorry about that, mate. Get out of your tent. Come out here to my world. Well, you don't know how hard it is. I've had to put up with this. Get out. Abraham thankfully obeyed God. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch the curtains of your habitation. Strengthen your cords, uh, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. For you shall retreat and be limited. Now you shall expand. Expand. Say that word. It's a good word to say over yourself. I am expanding on the inside. I think bigger thoughts. I think bigger. I think bigger. Bigger influence. Bigger victory. More money. Why do I say that? Because we need to do more things. We were planning yesterday at Hope City Mission. We have big dreams for big people. But it takes big money. So you've got to think bigger. So if you're satisfied in this year with ten dollars in your bank, you need to start thinking bigger. But you don't. I'm a pensioner. Well, I, I I'm sorry. I, I didn't realise that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that excludes you from the kingdom. That God can't work with pensioners. Mark 10 verse 75. <laughs> I can do all things except bless pensioners through Christ who strengthens me. Sorry, widow, I can't multiply your oil because you're a widow. (laughs) (laughs) The people in the world get it. But they're operating in a fallen system. How much more us? What is in your hand? What is in your head? What can I do? How can I be multiplied? How can I think different? How can you stretch me? See, Esther's going through this preparation. She was so meticulous that when she walked in the room she took away the the breath of the king. He says, I want her. I want to take away God's breath. He says, I've never met a man who thinks like you. You frighten me. It's amazing. I found somebody who thinks like me. Ezekiel, a wheel within a wheel. There's four living creatures in heaven. Revelation 1, Jesus comes in the midst of the seven candles, the church. He starts to rebuke the church. I have this against you. You need to repent. What he's saying, he's coming to a church that has a small mind that doesn't see like the king. So he says you need to repent. You need to change the way you think. Then he says to him who overcomes, I'll give them this ability to sit with me on the throne, a seat of authority. Then he says to John, come up higher. Now, I want you to see something that I see. And he sees four living creatures. Now, what happens if these living creatures are people like you and me? What happens if they're a picture of people? They're a picture of Jesus, aren't they? The Gospels, the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. Eyes in front, eyes behind. But what happens if they're a picture of the end-time church? with the face of a man and the face of an eagle, that we've been able to go up to heaven and see what he sees and then exercise authority as a man on earth to serve as an ox but to reign as a king. What would happen if he's showing us that these same four living creatures will say, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory. That's you and I. That's why when we come into the holy place, there's a dirt floor and a heavenly roof. Do you remember? There is the reality of who I am on the earth, but the reality or a greater reality of who I am in heaven. Because I'm seated in heavenly places, remember? So the true me, the real me, is already there. See, you make the tabernacle on earth to the pattern of the tabernacle in heaven. He's saying the you that you build on earth better resemble the you that's in heaven. So when I'm in that tent, I'm saying, God, what do you see when you see me? Take away all this dirt floor stuff and create a heavenly pattern in my life. I want to function in dominion. Because you know what? When I'm in heaven, I will rule and reign with him. But will I rule and reign with him in any greater degree than I rule and reign here on earth? Read what Jesus says in the parables. and Make your own conclusion. So we have to prepare our lives to reign with him and exercise dominion. I'll finish with a little story. We were going up into the country for a two-day holiday, and I looked at the weather forecast a week before, and it said, heavy rain, heavy rain. Have you ever done that planned a holiday and there's, you've got a little window, and it rains in that window, and it's sunny skies, both sides. Like, Thank you, Jesus, for making the best of this occasion in my life. And I thought, oh, I had no choice but to go in those two days. So as we're in the car, it was weighing on my mind because I wanted to really enjoy myself. And you can't enjoy yourself when it rains outside. And so in the car, I felt the Holy Spirit say, exercise your dominion. And it wasn't so much about the holiday of the rain, but God was teaching me how to partner with him because I'm changing the way you think. So in the car, I sit in front of all the kids. I said something like, I rebuke you rain, it shall not rain, it will be dry, it can rain at night if you need the rain but you will not rain during the day and ruin my holiday, in Jesus' name. And was there any sniggers? Maybe a couple from others. But I said it, and I kept driving. And we had two days of great weather, cold, but no rain. And I said, see? I knew that. Not really. And it rained everywhere else. In fact, it rained in Melbourne, and when we returned, we drove into rain but God was saying this is what I want you to do I want you it's not so much about the weather although that's a good thing to do but I want you to learn how to partner with me I want it so change the way you think so I'm able see I think if God was ever frustrated he would be frustrated with a people that aren't able to partner with his great purposes and he's tied by our unbelief our small thinking and our lack of preparation. And so he, he doesn't sit up and go, I I ain't It pains him because he says, Oh, you know, he says in Malachi, Why do you rob me? And we all think, Oh, there you go again. God's jacked off because we won't give him our tithes. Uh, he said, No, you, you're robbing me of my pleasure of partnering with you. He doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the gold and silver. He doesn't need anything. This is about... See, tithing's about partnering. It's coming under him and saying, You are Lord, I partner with you in your kingdom. It's a no-brainer. In fact, it's the... After salvation it is the most logical thing I've ever done. It's like, okay, you want to partner with me. I couldn't think of a better partner in all of, all of life. So we come under his covering because he wants to exercise dominion if you will begin to think like he thinks and obey him in the way he thinks. So we say, Lord, do that in our lives. Does anybody want to get naked? You have context when you listen to this. They said at that church of Hope City that everyone should be naked. No, no. Does anybody want to come into that place like Esther of preparation and create a tabernacle. So I lie in my chair at night, scare my kids when they walk into a dark room and there's these little eyes. (laughs) And I begin to pray and I create my little tent and I go into that place of vulnerability and the fire of the Spirit as I pray and the Spirit begins to rage and truth begins to come. He drops revelation. I begin to see things about myself I didn't see before. And I find I'm being changed, and I'm able to exercise dominion outside that I never had before. And that's what God wants for you. He wants you to part- He wants you to be able to partner with Him. Does anybody here want to partner with God? Yes. That's about half. That's good. Does anybody want to exercise dominion in their world? Yes. So you've got to be prepared. And, and, and let me say one thing before I finish. It doesn't work like this. You get all your preparation right, then I'll give you dominion. This is what I've found. The great thing about God, it works together. The more preparation, the more dominion. They get a bit more preparation, a bit more dominion. And it'll be the most amazing journey of your life. He's going to transform you inside out. Amen? For everyone watching on YouTube today, it's for you as well. It's for everybody. No matter what country you live in, no matter what circumstance, God wants to partner with you to change nations. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, Father, we give you our lives today. We thank you, Lord, that you've selected us like you showed us that Esther was selected. So now we come into that place, the 12 months of preparation Bring this to a place of governance in our life, changing the way that we think and feel and choose. And Lord, we ask that you would use us, your people, to release your dominion, your kingdom in every sector of society in the workplace, school, home, shopping centres. Everywhere that we walk, we possess the land for your kingdom. Let your kingdom come in great power through our lives. So we say, Lord, light the fire in our lives. Cause all the sweat, all the wrong mindsets to dissipate, to to leave our lives and let the freshness of new revelation permeate our bodies. So we are just walking distributors of the fragrance of heaven. Use us, Lord, we pray. This week, wherever we go, may we be conscious of the dominion that we carry to speak life, to pray for the sick, to bring people to you, to to work miracles, to release finances. Let your kingdom come. Let this not just be a nice little exercise today, but let it change the way that we operate from Monday through to Saturday. Let your kingdom come in great power through our lives. We are expecting this week to partner with you to see your kingdom come in great power. So we say, Lord, use us, prepare us in the name of Jesus. Let your kingdom come, we pray. Amen.